everyone, welcome back to the Anywhere podcast. I'm Margarita Senegomsh on behalf of NAC. Please don't forget to rate us and leave us your opinion and follow us on our social media at Novo Awareness Club. Hope you enjoy. Today we're going to have as guests our global economics professor Katia Batista and also our team leader for European Affairs, Siak Paul. In this podcast, we'll discuss the migration crisis, namely in Italy. Italy has been facing the urgent issue of immigration and refugees since 2014. Without help from the rest of the European Union, and with the sole responsibility of taking off the immigrants arrived by sea, Salvini took advantage of the situation and won the heart of the public by shutting the door on the entry of immigrants. Though already being inhumane with his controversial immigration policies, the public continues to be unhappy about the number of foreigns living and working on their homeland. The main debate point is as follows. Recent research shows positive effects on immigration regarding unemployment rate and GDP per capita, though factual, unfortunately, coincides with the overall recovery period of the European economy, thus making it hard to decide where it was the work of the overall economy or the work of the inflow of immigrants. As the majority of the European Union shares the idea that immigration brings in positive impacts, renegotiated with Italy by agreeing to take responsibility for the percentage of immigrants. This temporarily warmed the heart of Italy, but how long could it last? When did you saw interest in this migration crisis and problems with immigration? I've been working on migration-related topics since I was a PhD student in Chicago, like almost 20 years ago. The interest in migration has been here for a long time, but being in Europe, this is obviously very important. My interest in economics started with policy issues, and I guess when you're interested in migration, you're interested in economic policy, all things come together with this crisis that we are seeing. The issue is when you look at Africa, you see booming demographics. So you have a lot of young people people looking for a better future and you don't see really the opportunities and the jobs even in Africa that can give them this future that they aim at. When you look at Europe, you see the opposite. You see an aging population. We are in need of more people. When you look at it, it would look like a perfect opportunity. But reality is much more difficult and we see that there are many barriers to integration. I mean, it's difficult just to move people from Africa to Europe and integrate perfect. But obviously, what you see in the media is much more related to the fact that there are groups of people, politicians that were not politicians to start, but were made politicians when they see this opportunity of grabbing votes by focusing on the fear of people. Many European people are afraid of these migrants because they don't know them. They have not had any contact or experience with them. And so if these politicians come and are a bit scaremongering them, right, in the sense that they say that they are going to steal jobs, they are going to decrease their wages, and that they have this different culture, this different color that are kind of scary. When this happens, you see these populist parties getting into politics very visit. That's my perspective and that's the kind of questions that made me interest in the topic. We have been talking about this huge number of Africans coming to Europe, but in fact, the year where we had most was 2015, it was 1 million people. 1 million people compared to a population in Europe of 500 million yeah. is not that much, especially when the population is aging and we need young people and these migrants are young people. The challenge here is really that people are made to be afraid of these immigrants, even though the evidence shows that these people 
are not really taking the jobs, they are doing the jobs that other Europeans do not want to do. Oftentimes, wages of other people, of natives, of European, they are going up because oftentimes these tasks that the migrants are doing are complementary. And what we see is that, for example, if you are highly educated professional, maybe you need help at home so that you can focus on your work, be more productive. These kind of complementarities have been shown both for Europe and for the US and other developed countries that immigration actually tends to increase the wages oh, okay. of European born and not decrease. So all of these scary facts are really made up. And yeah. that's what I mean drives me in doing this kind of research. When I and you were researching, we found out that many people think exactly the opposite that you were saying. The incoming immigrants are degrading the salaries. Knowing about that really changes my perspective on the subject. Yeah, definitely. About what you were talking earlier about caremongering and all that. I don't know if you read my article, but I talked precisely of the video that Orban's government sponsored in English because it wanted to have Europe-wide effect, which just said like the number of immigrants arriving and then suddenly jumped to the terrorist attacks. It's implying that it's correlated, but in most cases it isn't. I mean, they were European-born, not coming from all these African countries. Absolutely. I mean, what is happening is really a very big divide between reality and this speech. This populist speech is really not based on evidence, but I mean, we are seeing this in politics all over the world, right? And I think that's where our role as economists comes in, because we have these, I think, even an ethical obligation of using what we know, all the theory, all the econometrics, all these applied to these facts that really matter and put them out there, because it's important that it's not only these fact makers <laughs> that are speaking. But how could we bring this information to the public some way that perceivable? And It's talk about it, talk about it in plain language and dismystified, put it out not only through the conventional media, but through all sources, social media and, and all of that has a reach on people. Tiago's article focused more on Salvini and his policies. So I would like to ask, being familiar with policies taken in Italy of cutting social funds to help refugees and suspending asylum seekers' permission to stay in the country, what are your thoughts on Salvini's stance and what would you have done differently? We in Nova Africa Center here at Nova, so we got this funding from the European Union to study determinants of irregular migration from West Africa and at the same time policy alternatives. So the kind of work that we do with the most rigorous economic methods applied to real world questions and important ones. So what we do is an experimental evaluation of alternative policies to try and provide alternatives to people considering embarking on irregular migration. So, and I should say that irregular migration is something that we want not to encourage because people that are subject to this voyage and to the outcomes of irregular migration are really in vulnerable situations. The first thing we had to do was to document the risks of going from West Africa to Europe. These risks are immense. The evidence we have is very, very scarce. But what we got was the fact that people that leave West Africa to get to Europe in this irregular way, one out of three of them die. And more than that, this happens because what they do is first they go through the Sahara Desert. Typically, they go in overcrowded open trucks. If people fell out of the truck, they are left behind to die. And this happens very often. Then they are taken typically, and this is the central Mediterranean route, which is the most popular, but also the most risky. So from the desert, they get to Libya. Libya nowadays is a country that is very hard for someone from sub-Saharan Africa to be in. The smugglers that charge these people like $3,000, and these people typically live on $1 a day. They do big sacrifice to do this trip. And the smugglers that take this money, 
oftentimes in Libya enslave these people. There have been various accounts, mainly by reporters. These people, they are forced to work, they are subject to violence, and oftentimes they die, but sometimes they don't. They are still enslaved. So it's not only that they die, but they are subject to terrible conditions. Now, those that make it to the Mediterranean Sea, a few die. But the risk there is only 3% out of those 30. This is where the media attention is, but actually it's the smallest of the risks. What Salvini has done is just increase these risks by deporting lots of people. But honestly, the big risk is already there before. We have been working on providing people information about it. Do you know what happened? When we got there, what we were told is they expected one out of two people to die in their way. 50% of these young kids mostly still wanted to come. They were willing to risk it because their conditions are so miserable over there? It's a combination, obviously, a very difficult daily life. They live on one dollar a day still, and this is West Africa, not that far from the sea. And then it's something else. These are young kids. What do young kids want to do? They want to have some glamorous aspiration of life. They can go to neighboring Senegal, where migration is free, where there are Gambian immigrants living better lives, but they don't even consider that option because they think Europe is so cool. So what we are doing at the moment, we are working with 4,000 young men in the Gambia, which is the country in West Africa that has the highest rate of irregular migration. We are working with them on one hand, providing information. We give them the option, we facilitate and encourage and provide support for migration to Senegal, to that neighboring country where we have immigrant associations that will provide them support. And also we are doing vocational training, trying to get people being better able to work on jobs such as electrician. We also do some training related to mobile phones, things that can enable them to find a better job in their countries if they want, neighboring countries, or even come to Europe and maybe improve the odds of getting a legal job. So basically the idea is what kind of policies can we enact so that people have alternatives. This is work being done with European funding, but one of the things that as an economist was surprising me the most was getting to Brussels, like to the kickoff event, and realizing that we at Nova were the only ones to do evaluation. And what we are doing is we are measuring impact in a very rigorous way. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of policy evaluation. And this is what gives space to Salvini and the populist politicians to do what they are doing. I realize, I mean, Salvini is now out of job, but policies have not changed. Just this weekend, I was in Spain at the migration conference and I was talking to Italian colleagues telling me that Vinny is gone, but the policies are not really changing. They are still there. We have to work at the origin, understanding policies that can change this. And we have to work also in Italy and in Europe in general, trying to, on the one hand, provide legal paths for migrants. On the other hand, provide more coordination of these policies among European countries and work on integration policies. I was going to ask, now that you talk about Salvini, that's out of office. Now, Luciana Lamorgis has taken his place. So if you were in her place, what would you do? And also, I would like to hear Tiago, if you want to share your opinion as well. I think it's kind of limited what Italy can do because migration is not something that a country alone can solve. And I think that was the main issue because uh, EU legislation and uh, referring to the Article Dublin regulation, because it's the most clear example, member state is responsible for all migration and asylum policies. Migration crisis affected the whole of Europe, not a single member state. And this was main driver, I think, for Salvini's. He didn't win the elections, he came in third, but it was a great result, was managed to be part of government and a great driver to his rise. But So I think this issue needs to be tackled on a European-wide issue. Uh, Dublin must be reformed. We cannot allow member states to deal with this issue alone because the country that's receiving the migrants is responsible for the asylum application and all other countries can deport them. But this is not the only way in which Europe has left Italy completely alone in dealing with this issue. There was another case uh, which was a sea rescue operation, which is called Mare Nostrum, until 2014. And uh, it was very effective. It saved a lot of migrant vessels, but it stopped in 2014. If you see why, it's because
because it has a huge financial cost and the EU was not allowed to participate and actually take over from Italy because when Italy repressed the financial help of other member states, they got rejected time and time again because of two main reasons. First, why would northern countries help financially when it's Italy, Greece, Spain's problem? And also many more conservative far-right populists, which are on the rise of Europe, saw this as like, if we help migrants and which are rescuing and we rescue them during the Mediterranean crossing, this will just encourage more people to come. And many countries uh, with a far-right presence, Austria, Hungary and the United Kingdom also vetoed, lobbied against the continuation of Mare Nostrum because they didn't want this. And in fact, this was not the truth. After Mare Nostrum ended in 2014, the number of deaths in the Mediterranean rose because the chance of drowning increased after Mare Nostrum ended. And also, this is not verified because after Mare Nostrum, the number of migrants coming increased, didn't decrease. So it's not just because there was no more rescue operations that uh, migrants stopped coming. So basically, Europe is counting pennies at the expense of human lives, which is kind of degrading in my opinion. Well, this is a humanitarian issue. It's not Europe, we don't want immigrants to come. We have total capacity to integrate them, as you said. One million refugees compared to 500 million Europeans, it's nothing. There are challenges in integration. We should not say it's easy. For example, even in Portugal, which where we don't get these massive inflows of African immigrants with a different culture, different skin color, different religion. I mean, we still have a lot of challenges. Right now, we are doing work with the Cape Verdean community here in Portugal. And still we see that these people, they have worse jobs, worse education. It's hard. There is work to be done. And this is the easy case because the numbers are lower and there is similarity. So what we are doing, for example, here is work both on skills and also on non-cognitive aspects. There are obviously gaps in the preparation of the immigrants that come and that integrate on the other side, at the origin, we are working on, say, vocational training to improve this. But you can do that also when immigrants arrive. And there are many programs supported by the European Union doing this. But it's not like we are all counting pennies at the expense of lives. I think that's a too extreme statement to be made because this is complex. And so on integration, also we have issue of training people. But on the other hand, we also have people self-limiting themselves because oftentimes when immigrants come to Europe, they think, I was born in Africa, I'm not European, I won't be able to make it. And this lack of aspirations is something that we find is very limiting. Part of the work that we are doing is also experimental evaluation so that we know the costs and benefits of policies is try to inspire people, give them examples of people that came from Cape Verde to Portugal, they found jobs, they created businesses, they are inspiring in some way. And this can open mental doors so that people are inspired to do well. But this is hard work. First, finding these people, people that are less integrated, they are kind of hidden you don't find them and it's not easy but surely there is work to be done to make it happen and I think that's important we can use these skills use the scarce resources we have to promote integration and absolutely we need immigration in Europe but it has to be done in a way where people are effectively integrated I was just saying it. it's easy in the sense that it's easier than everyone is perceiving it to be if we limited ourselves and think that oh that's an impossible task it's something that we're never gonna attempt mm -hmm. to do public discourse is very important important and populist makes it look much harder than what it has to be but it is still difficult and we have yeah. to work hard on it to make it happen. If I might jump in, uh, for example in 2015 Lebanon, the neighboring country of Syria, had already accepted the equivalent of 18% of its population as Syrian refugees while Europe at the same time hadn't even reached 0.4% of acceptances. I also think we need to analyze the ethics of it. Lebanon does not have the infrastructure that Europe has to receive these refugees and is taking a lot more burden than uh, Europe is. And I think what Europe is doing at the moment is also because it cannot interpret
internally deal with this problem, it's outsourcing the problem. In March 2016, it reached refugee deal with uh, Turkey, where Turkey agreed to stop the influx of migrants through Turkey into Europe. And uh, in return, Europe paid uh, Turkey 6 billion uh, euros in funds and uh, allowed Turkish nationals uh, visa-free travel into Europe. It's not ethical. Turkey is a country that has serious problems in democracy and rule of law, and we're funding them with European funds that come from all member states. We see how Turkey is dealing with this issue. I mean, they now have accumulated over 3 billion Syrian refugees, and uh, they are invading Syria, the Kurdish zone, to create a safe zone for these refugees. And I mean, is that ethical? And uh, when Europe uh, protested against this invasion, Turkey threatened that if Europe intervenes, they would just send those 3 million refugees to Europe. Turkey is using 3.6 million human lives as a bargaining chip, and it's Europe's fault by not dealing with this issue and just transferring the problem to Turkey by paying them. Yeah, absolutely. There have to be better policy options. And I think something that people have discussed makes much more sense is to try to work people directly at the origin because all of the experiences that we have had with these different policies of diverting refugees or migrants to other places, they've gone wrong. People are being subject to even worse situations than what they had at the origin. So what people have discussed that can make sense is to work at the origin. I mean, these programs of vocational training, even though no one before us has evaluated them, they make sense, at least in theory. So we have to test, but in theory, at least, it makes sense to provide training to these potential migrants. It makes sense to provide legal paths. I mean, this is the thing that people are saying and not doing enough. What has to happen is to provide more ways for young African men and women to be able to move to Europe legally. You could even save money than making all of these transfers that have all types of problems, right? Especially if you're paying Turkey up to 6 billion euros, at what extent isn't it easier, less expensive to integrate them or try at least? One thing that you mentioned on your article is that in long term, the taxes they're going to pay are going to outweigh the social benefits they're receiving at the moment. And most studies I did research on clearly show that in the long run, migration benefits host country. Now in the short run, it might need some investment to integrate them better, but in the long run, it seems to pay off. And also with the professor was saying about legal issues, most asylum seekers that arrive to Europe, not even half of them get their asylum application accepted. So they make the dangerous crossing of the Mediterranean, they arrive to Europe, and most of them are sent back. So why not, for example, in the embassies and consulates spread out in North Africa and Middle East, why cannot they apply there? And then if they are accepted, they can travel to Europe because it just increases the danger of drowning when they don't even know if they will be allowed to stay in Europe. This could be also a solution to first distribute better the arriving immigrants because they arrive to Italy, so they must apply for asylum in Italy. And also it would reduce the number of immigrants actually doing the crossing. Actually, most people who arrive to Rome and they are obliged to apply for asylum there, they don't actually want to stay in Europe and get on the road to Ventimiglia town in northern Italy and try to cross to France. But most of them, as you were mentioning in the Dublin regulation, when they reach France, they are sent back to Italy. Even though, theoretically, Europe has open borders, they're shut for immigrants. What are your opinion on that? It's a bit the same that Tiago was saying before. I mean, if people were allowed to apply directly from their origin countries, and I would say not only Middle East and Northern Europe, but we are talking about Sub-Saharan Africa here, okay? West Africa in particular, Nigeria. It's a huge country, lots of people, and they are all taking this route. People travel long ways. Those are the riskiest. Crossing the desert, getting to Libya, that's the riskiest part. And so you would avoid all that if people could 
could apply directly their origin country to whatever place in Europe they want to come because these prevalence of irregular migration has also posed maybe an unfair burden on Italy because yes this route ends in Italy Italy has all the burden and because policies are not coordinated properly at the European level this is not a proper solution in the work that we did with these potential migrants in Africa most of them want to go to Germany they should be allowed to apply directly there and to be provided with alternatives so I think this in terms of policy is what makes most sense people have started debating it but we don't see a lot being done on this let me just talk about another policy alternative that has been discussed people have discussed that what we need to do is not getting people to Europe but promote development in Africa this as a policy to counter migration is very much wrong because what you will get if you promote development at the origin is people will be a bit better off and the first thing they will do is leave their countries the migrants that we get in Europe are the best from Africa these are the ones that are so entrepreneurial that can get the money to be smuggled these are the ones that have the best education these are the best of the best and that's that's where the story gets even worse because these are the best of the best they are dying they are being exploited they are not getting to Europe or if they get they are in a vulnerable situation where they cannot productive contribute to Europe or to their home countries and it's a waste so if you start promoting development the first thing that will happen is we'll have more migrants and only then when the country gets middle income levels which will take many decades then you would have that kind of effect you have that now in Latin America they are finally getting to the level where migration is no longer exploding I mean migration pressures into the United States are much lower than they used to be before for demographic slash economic reasons people are getting better off in Latin America their population is now in terms of fertility it's more controlled in Africa that's not the stage where we are at. Africa is still very poor on average fertility rates are still booming lots of young people needing jobs so what we should be doing is really bring them to Europe Europe needs more young people the direct economic benefits are in terms of public finance are there and there are lots of spillover because bringing more people more diversity this all has lots of positive externalities that can increase and I mean increase the dynamism and productivity in Europe other types of research that we have done is on the effects for development in Africa having more migrants and connecting them with their home country it's not only through financial remittances it's also through all the incentives that you get for people back home those that stayed in the poor regions of the country they get more incentives to invest in education to invest in health to have better politics so all of that can bring virtuous cycle but we have to do a lot in terms of policy to get there and we have to bring awareness to the population and talk about that symbiosis and those positive externalities I want to talk about what you said about open borders which do not kind of exist for migrants the migration crisis has also affected that in many ways the open borders in Europe because we have open borders but then we do not have a single policy regarding migration for the people entering the external borders this has actually also put a lot of strain on the Schengen since uh, 2015 when was the peak of the migration crisis there are five countries in Europe Germany Austria and then Scandinavian countries had temporary border controls more often than not Europe's supposed to be a place of uh, free movement and because of migration this is not happening I mean it's not like their border controls every time but they are about to control the border. I refer right at the beginning of my article, Hungary has built a border fence between border with Croatia and Serbia, and although Croatia and Serbia are not currently part of, and we are living once more in a Europe with uh, walls and borders. That's another problem of migration. Hearing all of this as a member of society, I'm really shocked. I would gladly do something to try to remedy the situation. What are the impacts that, that we could have on this matter? I think, well, talking about it is 
the best place to start. Okay, if we talk more, if we engage more, if people uh, get with climate change, at the moment is more of an emergency. But it's the same kind of situation. You do have a crisis because Europe without migrants will disappear. At the same time, we have all of these very serious problems that we were discussing. So I think starting by talking, making people aware is very important. And then what we can do is use these science that we are working in for this purpose. If all of us do this, yeah. maybe we can make a change. And we can make a great impact. You mentioned Europe will disappear without immigrants. I saw an interview about village of Riace, where the mayor, Domenico Lucano, received immigrants opposing Salvini's policy. And he was convicted and he was suspended from his mayor position. He was a mayor of a dying village, a very old population, and the influx of refugees increased, uh, rejuvenated the population, it created more jobs, and it created a microeconomy on that village. He mentioned on his interview that, yes, he was not abiding by the rules, the policies imposed by Salvini, and then he compared with Hitler's policies on the Third Reich. Do you think that's comparable? Do you think that he was in the right or he was in the wrong by infringing those policies? I think having general principles and try to improve the general context in which things operate, that's true. And you are talking about Italy, but you can look at Odemira in Portugal. It's okay. the same kind of idea. We have many of these small villages, particularly inland in Portugal. We, we also need people because those villages are disappearing. Many have disappeared already. Odemira is an example in Portugal where you have lots and lots of immigrants coming and not the traditional origin countries, okay? You have many people coming from Bangladesh or Pakistan and working on agriculture. There has been recent discussion because even though our policies, fortunately, have not been biased in that populist way, Portugal is, together with Sweden, is at the top of the integration index for immigrants. We have good policies, but in practice, we also have discussions. So where are these people being accommodated? Are they being kept aside from the rest of society? I mean, hence not allowing them to integrate. Yes. Okay, so all of these discussions are important. They should be have, and we should be trying to design this in, in a better way. I believe, I mean, in terms of model of integration, immigration is not new in Europe. We look at France and we see all the ghettos where migrants, and it's not only migrants, I mean, these are French people that were descendants of migrants that came uh, many decades ago, and they are still kept away from society, and they are much more prone to radicalization. This is the kind of thing that we want to prevent and to fight, because we, we want immigrants, but we want them to be well integrated. Otherwise, you are just bringing the potential for conflict into Europe. Policies that are good, providing jobs, at integrating people, and I think that's the way to go. But we should have a rule of law that allows for that to happen. When there were the debates for the European Parliament, I clearly remember one question because the answers were outright ridiculous, in my opinion. The question was pretty simple. If there was a boat arriving to Portugal's coast and uh, it was starting to sink, what would you do? I think it's a question of ethics and I think, of course, we should rescue those migrants and bring them into Portugal. Then all the proper legal procedures would occur, the asylum application and all that. But first of all, we have the ethic responsibility to bring them into the country. I mean, this was something that Italy under Salvini was not doing. He threatened that uh, migrant vessels that even entered Italian waters would pay extremely high fines. Uh, the Italian government would be able to seize that vessel from the NGOs. This was effective in the way of uh, reducing migrant 
arrival to Italy, but it was not ethical because we heard so many stories of migrant vessels that were stranded at sea for many, many weeks because they had nowhere to dock. Their first option was Italy, but because of Salvini's policies, they could not dock. But we saw this all over Europe. They, they tried Malta, they tried Spain. Many times they weren't able to dock. And the solution was always case by case. All these countries had to come in together and discuss and have to make concessions and compromises on who would receive those migrants. First of all, we're talking about human lives. So first we uh, collect them and then we try to redistribute them. Europe was thinking of trying to reform the Dublin regulation, but the Visegrad group has vetoed it. But one of the policies they want to change is the quotas. So as we've previously said, migrants are very in love with the European dream and mostly want to go to northern countries such as Germany and Scandinavia. How would you redirect these migrants if they're not willing or don't know they can, for example, come to Portugal? I think the question with uh, Dublin is quite curious because although in EU law it states that uh, migration and asylum is a national competence, then in the Council of the European Union, changes to that rule is based on uh, qualified majority voting and not unanimity. What the EU decided was that they would only reform Dublin regulation under unanimity because they didn't want to cause problems within Europe by forcing countries to accept refugees they did not want. And the Visegrad group didn't want to accept any refugees, so they are blocking this reform. I think it has kind of backfired because Europe did not want to cause tensions between countries by forcing them to accept refugees they did not want, but these tensions are already existing due to the lack of an effective response to the migration crisis. So just to end, one more question. So if a refugee entered, now looking at uh, the perspective of, for example, France and Italy, when refugees that arrive first in Italy and are obliged to apply there for asylum go to France. If it was uh, Spain, Portugal, if refugees arrived in Spain and came to Portugal to ask for asylum illegally, therefore, should we accept them? Should we send them back to the landing country? There should be rules. Obviously, individual requests will be evaluated as an individual on a case-by-case basis, but there should be rules so that we can legally accept these people and then there should be procedures so that they are well integrated and that everyone can benefit from this policy. Basically, everything goes back to we need to uh, change our regulations. Informed by evidence. Okay. So I think our input here as economists is we are being trained to be able to look at policies and measure their impacts as rigorously as we can, measure what's their cost, what's their benefit, so that we can channel our scarce resources to the policies that make sense, that are most effective, that benefit most these migrants and the receiving countries. And I think this is what makes sense and can make a difference. Well, we have the future in our hands. <laughs> And it's our duty to make impact in the world. Thank you so much for coming. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to know more about the topic, you can read the research papers of Professor Katia Batista and go to theawarenessnews.com to read Tiago's article about Salvini's policies in full. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, interact with us on Instagram and Facebook at Nova Awareness Club. Stay informed, stay aware, and above all, have a great week.